Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Rundgren Radio. We are live tonight. We're back. Not at a concert, unfortunately. We had a good time in Dallas. We'll be talking about that a little bit. That's Trapped. If you haven't heard, Todd and the gang played that last night at the Blender in New York City. I'm not happy about that because I went to two shows and they didn't play it, but that's good. I'm happy for the people that were there. Liv, uh, Liv Tyler was one of the... Uh, attendees at that show if you haven't heard oc sherry and baby sandy from tr connection apparently wrote that song on the set list and it worked their trick worked they got to hear it last night got to hear a little chasm singing so it's all good for them we got tour information for you wanted to go over that right quick before we talk to our guest tonight who is chris anderson if you know you should know if you are listening to the show right now thursday the 13th, that's this week, Asbury Park in New Jersey, Todd, Michael Urbano, Chasm Sultan, Jesse Grass at the Stone Pony. If you're in the area, you do not want to miss that show. Sunday, the 16th, Alexandria, Virginia at the Birchmere. Our friend Bill Bricker will be at that show. 2008, they're starting another one. This one will have Prairie Prince on drums. It starts Friday, the 18th in Columbus, Ohio. The next day, the 19th, Covington, Kentucky, which is near Cincinnati. Sunday, the 20th, in Indianapolis. And then Tuesday, the 22nd, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minnesota. Friday, the 25th, Chicago. Todd is going to Chicago. As you know, they had that booked earlier and then had to change it. Rockwell, our friend, is going to get to see Todd in Chicago on the 25th. Rumors are around that they may do a second show. The venue they're in is booked for the next night, so they'd have to go to a different venue. There's no confirmation of that. It may just be a rumor. It would be nice if it were true because that show is sold out. If you're looking for tickets, Ticketmaster.com is the place. For the Chicago show, you're going to have to go see a broker. Ticketsnow.com, StubHub, all those places have a few tickets. If you are desperate for tickets to Chicago or you can wait it out and see if any become available, trconnection.com is the place to look for tours if you can get on there. It's been mighty slow lately. Roger, if you're listening, please speed it up for us. We miss the site sometimes. It's hard to get on too much traffic, I guess, especially with the tour going on. Tonight's guest is Chris Anderson, house recording engineer for Todd Ruggern for many decades, Utopia, etc. The call-in number if you want to talk to Chris is 646-716-9262. He'd be happy to take your questions. We'll be having a lot of fun tonight. We've got some never-before-heard songs that were recorded live that Chris has sent me. So we'll be listening to those sometime during the show, so you will enjoy it. They were actually, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, they were taken from cassette, right? 
Oh, uh, yes, they were. I was crawling around the attic uh, earlier tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but they sound pretty good, right? Uh, well, the the one from Ritual Coliseum, I think, sounds very good. There's only one concert uh, recording I sent you, and the other thing I sent you was something very special from the studio. Excellent. We're going to try to get that uploaded in time so everybody can take a nice listen to it. I've got a special, since I had a house engineer producer in the house, I made my own little production, which is a seven-minute almost rundown of the set list that they're doing right now, which does not include Trap because that is not the normal set list. So I'm going to play that for you sometime, maybe at the first hour, so you can take a bio break, the Dustin 29 bio break. We'll try to have one of those tonight. And if you don't have to go, you can listen to this great clip that I made. If you do have to go, you'll have to miss it and listen to it in the archives. Let me talk about some future guests right quick. We have Tony Levin next. That's the 19th at 9 o'clock Eastern, so an hour later than tonight. Tony Levin, bass player extraordinaire, toured with Todd this year, earlier in the year. And he has got his own music as well. Stickman is his latest CD. We'll be listening a little bit of that and talking to Tony. I'm sure he'll be a great guest. You're welcome to call in and talk to him as well. Billy James we have coming up. He is going to be next year, early. So I believe it's January the 3rd. And he is, of course, the author of the biography on Todd, the only one that exists. And they're in the second volume is being worked on right now. will be out around Todd's birthday from what I hear, which is in June of 08. So be looking out for that and definitely be checking out that show. It should be a, just a wealth of information. That's going to be a good one. We've got a holiday show possibly this month. It's the last week of the month. We're just looking for the date. We've got a clip coming from the U.K., which has lots of people from all over the world wishing everybody holiday wishes. That's going to be special. It's about 30 minutes long. We'll be playing that. We'll also be talking to Jean Lannon, who is Todd's photographer from the 70s on. She, of course, has the new calendar that's out. It's available at the Todd store that has uh, pictures that have never been seen before. She's got lots of great photos. She's going to talk to us about that. She also has a special announcement about something she's doing in January. And we've got some other surprises. So be looking out for that show. We'll announce it soon. Law Workman next year. Jesse Gress. That's the 8th and ninth back-to-back guitar guys. Jesse, that's his birthday. So you want to call in and wish him a happy birthday. Then we have none other than Willie Wilcox, and that will complete the quadfecta for Utopia. We've had Roger Powell already. We've had Chasm Sultan already, and we've had Todd on already, and we've actually had some of the original Utopia guys with Moogie Klingman, of course, who was on a few weeks ago. But the four that most people remember, we're going to hit it with Willie Wilcox next year in January. So be on the lookout for that. That should be a special show. And then I'm working on another idea where... We will review each album that Todd has and maybe even get into Utopia. And I'm looking for guest hosts for those shows. I can't commit the time to that. That's 20 albums, and my wife would kill me. So if you're interested in that, shoot me an email at rungrenradio at earthlink.net. We'll pick apart each album, talk about the meaning behind them or our interpretations anyway. should be pretty fun. If you're interested in that, shoot me an email. I'd appreciate it. The Difference, we played it last night. If you didn't get to hear it, The Difference was a show that Todd hosted Back in the 90s, this was from 96, it was a holiday special. It's really a great show. It's almost two hours. You can find it in archives if you haven't heard it. A lot of holiday music, Todd talking in between the songs. Good stuff. Check it out. I only got a couple more announcements, so we're going to start talking to Chris. Chris, you still with me? Oh, yeah, right here. <laughs> Hang in with me, man. That itinerary, that itinerary sounds like 1978 for me. I'm telling you. we got some great guests. Everybody's been wonderful, and we've had some previously and we got some future ones it's, it's, everything's going great everybody's been wonderful no i mean the tour dates through ohio oh, the tour dates yeah you did that back then absolutely a hundred times covington kentucky <laughs> kentucky oh we played everywhere 
Oh, yeah? Well, it's near Cincinnati, so I'm assuming it sounds like it's almost on the state line. Well, the, the, the thing is, it's near Ohio, and that's that's the magic uh, the magic land for Todd. Well, Todd's going to Cleveland, too. The, the ones I uh, announced were just the ones on Ticketmaster. If you want to see the rest, check out trconnection.com. I was unable to get on there in time to write those shows down. The, it's going mighty slow tonight on that site. Great site. Check it out if you haven't already. We mention it on every show. The most definitive Todd Rubber site on the Internet by far. All right, so a couple more things, and then we will get into it with Chris Anderson. We're going to learn about what he's doing now and talk about some of the old days with Todd and company. Uh, there are some Todd in Texas tour shirts left. They have RungrenRadio.com on the back. If you want to be a walking billboard for the show, you need to get one of these cool shirts. And, of course, this uh, is good for Todd as well because all the profits go to Todd Rugren. If you want one of these shirts, we have the white ones available. We only have a handful you better get on it. Uh, the first batch sold out. The second batch, there's just a few left. If you want one of these shirts, it's 310-375-3665 is the number to call. Or you can email Kathy at toddgirl at AOL.com. That is the Todd Stores number. That's California time. Get one of these shirts because it's last call. They are going to be gone. They're going to be gone quick, and they look really good. The Dallas show. I had a great time. I hope you got to hear it. We Unfortunately, the music didn't work out as great as we thought. We needed Chris Anderson's help maybe as a house recording engineer. But what happened was my phone didn't like the loud sound, so it tried to adjust the volume, so it was in and out. But hopefully you got a treat out of listening to a little bit in the pre-show stuff where we talked about the new merchandise and interviewed some fans. I really had a great time. got to meet a lot of people from TRC and other places, Darnell, Liz, Cruiser Mel, Mott. Stephen, Houston, Kathy L., Wendy, Dennis, Adam, to name a few. Great time. Everybody was so nice. And what a great show. This is a great set list if you're into the guitar side of Todd. If you're into the piano and ballad, uh, you may be in for a little surprise on this tour. That's not what you're going to get. But uh, what you're going to get, you're going to see, you're going to get to hear later on in the show. Check out our MySpace page, myspace.com backslash radio. Add us as a friend if you haven't already. That's a good way to keep updated with what shows are going on and when. And last but not least, on the announcements here, 10 minutes worth, John Montagna's EP is now out. He was on our show recently. He was the bass player also with Todd this year on a tour. Senza is the CD, available at cdbaby.com. Woo! That is it. I am ready for Chris Anderson. To Man, you work hard. Wow. <laughs> Feels like I haven't done a show in forever. All right, Chris, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I found you on the production website. What's that all about? Well, you want to go over now, or you want to talk about uh, what I used to do with, for Todd? Well, let's start with what you're doing now, and then we'll okay. get into the Todd stuff. We have plenty of time for that, and I can tell you the callers will be asking a lot about that. 714, I have you here. I'll get to you in a minute. If you want to call, feel free to do it. I hope you don't mind holding for a little while. We're going to talk a little bit about what Chris is doing right now, and then we'll get into some good questions from the fans. Well, I've had a company uh, since about 1977. The company was originally uh, conceived as uh, a way to sort of help Todd um, even out his uh, financial responsibilities uh, in terms of getting his... I was his production manager both on the road and for uh, his studio projects. And um, we would have, you know, huge influxes of cash, but but it was it was a problem keeping the American Express card paid and the lights on and stuff like that, but just just for cash flow reasons. <laughs> so I changed. I, I nothing's changed. Right? <laughs> so I I created Investor Production back then, and uh, to try to even all that stuff out, I made all the uh, arrangements with the vendors and everything, so that we you know it made my job twice as hard when it was unreliable. So that's what 
my company is called Navessa, and I have it to this day. Although it has, it, it's it's its own recording studio. I have a six-camera television truck. We do feature film production. We uh, we have a video editing suite. We do a lot of different things. I have a, a 40-foot tour bus, an airplane, all all kinds of fun toys. Um, but we basically are involved in music and video and and film right now. Excellent. Well. I got to tell you, I had uh, that seven one four was actually somebody from the concert. I totally forgot they were going to be calling to give us a live report. I bet Todd's already started, so we missed out on that. I blew it, so that caller is gone. That's what that was about. <laughs> oh well. All right. So what uh, what kind of what kind of things do you do in that studio? Would you have any kind of uh, musical groups we might know about, or what kind of things do you produce in there? Well, I mean, our most recent project, and this is a project that's been going on. It's not the only thing we've been doing, but it's it's a project that's been going on for about two years is a documentary all about jug band music. And we made it for a filmmaker uh, in Cleveland named Todd Quaite. And we traveled all over the world uh, to get this story. And it's the name of the movie is called Chasing Gus's Ghost. And uh, we went to uh, Sweden. We went all through the United States and Canada. We interviewed Bob Weir, John Sebastian, Jeff Muldar, Maria Muldar, uh, Charlie Musselwhite. Um, and then we actually staged a concert in Tokyo, Japan, and uh, it's the story of jug band music and its influences on all the music that you know, but you probably don't know that the roots were in jug band music. Charlie Musselwhite, I remember that blues. I used to live in Louisiana. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's some good music. Yeah, it's great, and uh, it's it's quite a story. Um, we uh, premiered the film in San Francisco about two months ago, and it played the Woodstock Film Festival, the Hartford Film Festival. And it'll, it's been entered in about 35 or 40 more film festivals, and then it'll, you know, they'll do some sort of distribution deal. I'm not really involved on the business end of it, but we're, uh, my current project is a, a CD soundtrack uh, combined with a, uh, a live show that we recorded in the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco in late August, and that will become the uh, music companion, so to speak, uh, to the movie. So we've been working on this project for about two years, and it's just about done. Almost done. So that's uh, that's what you're doing now. Uh, well, it's you know I do a lot of corporate work for Merrill Lynch. Um, I have uh, you know a, a wide clientele as I always have in my recording studio. Um, you know, different. I recorded the uh, 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 orchestral piece in uh, New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago. The Bangor Symphony Orchestra. Uh, we do. Uh, my girlfriend actually has a has a, a um, an event called Garage Rumble, and she's done it for three years now. And she creates opportunities for teen bands in the Hudson Valley. And the uh, the, the grand prize uh, that she gets about oh I don't know twenty submissions from different bands, and they choose eight. And the grand prize uh, from the from the sort of battle of the bands is a day in the studio with me. Oh, awesome. And so that's coming up this Sunday, and they're very, very excited about it. It's, it's just band, high school. It's a band called The Roads. Well, they have to be teens, so they can be high school or just out of high school. Okay. Uh, but we've had uh, performers anywhere from 10 years old to, you know, about 20, 22 years old, something like that. And it's a, a contest they have to... Yeah, it's a battle of the bands. Battle it's of great. the bands. And it really creates an incredible grassroots... Um, you know, it's, it's it's a lot harder for kids in bands these days to... You know, there's not that many places to play, and there's not that much communication. There's not much uh, much going on. Yet these kids are incredibly talented, 
and have incredible ideas, and they just need a you know a platform to to uh, exhibit that on. So I help her with that. So who picks the winners? Um, we have a panel of judges. We had the um, you know it's always celebrity judges. John Ashton from Psychedelic Furs was last year. Uh, we had Donna Lewis. We had the head of uh, all the All Air Studio, uh, Mark McKenna, this year. Um, you know, just a, a bunch of knowledgeable music people. And so how many people enter the contest? How many bands? Yeah. Uh, about 20 entered, and we chose eight finalists. And then the, the eight finalists all perform uh, on one night, uh, or one afternoon, actually. And they play for like, three songs, and then we do a set change. So it takes about four hours to do them all. So your wife is pretty much in this business as well? Well, it's my girlfriend, but yeah, yeah, she's, she promotes this whole thing. Promotes it? And does she do any other kind of musical stuff with you well, in she the has, studios? Uh, she has her own, own uh, duet or duo right now. Uh, called Honey Pie, mm-hmm. and um, it's a cool name. Yeah, it's, she plays guitar and sings, and um, you know, there's a harmonica player, and uh, they're great. They have music out, like CDs and stuff, or just uh, they don't have anything for sale at the moment. But yeah. uh, you could go to HoneyPie.com, or uh, or you can always find my website Navesta.com and and find it through that. HoneyPie.com, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check that out, no doubt. So. Tell me what time frame you were with touring with Todd, uh, Utopia, etc. When did that start? Well, I was with him for 12 years. 12 years, okay. Starting July 4th, 1975, and ending sometime in 1987. And during that time, I was I started out as uh, his uh, as a technician at Bearsville Sound, which was uh, his record company at the time. And there was the head of Bearsville, obviously, was Albert Grossman. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with oh, yeah. And um, Albert wanted to have a first-class PA system for all his artists. Okay. And so he commissioned a guy named David Robb to build a PA system. And David and I had uh, shared a lot of dates together. He was working for a band called the Fabulous Rhinestones, and I had a band called um, Little Village, uh, for which I was the manager and, and technical guy for and we played a lot of dates together in the, like the Crystal Lake Ballroom in Connecticut and stuff like that. And this was, uh, you know, he got this job from Albert, and he looked around for the best people he could find, and he asked me if I wanted to come to Woodstock. And I had a, quite a successful sound business and, uh, and a hot band in, um, in Connecticut at the time. But I decided I wanted to, uh, to mix a national touring act. And this was going to be my the easiest way that I could to do that and so on July you know I, I visited a couple of shows and uh, the first gig I did for Todd was in Ohio of course mm-hmm. and um, it was at the Nelson Ledges racetrack and uh, they expected I don't know five or six thousand people and we had our little PA system mm-hmm. that we had built and um, Lo and behold, 30,000 people showed up. Wow. <laughs> and so we had this little PA system cranked to the absolute maximum to try to get the sound out to all these people. And uh, the guy that was running the house at system at the time was just blowing up. We had these very special, very great-sounding but very delicate tweeters. And uh, he was had the system cranked, and he kept blowing out the tweeters in the middle of the show. And these are these are in on a PA stack that's about 24 feet high, something like that. And so I uh, climbed this thing, and I was replacing tweeters uh, on the front of the stack during the show. 
and uh, they were uh, they were impressed with my performance on that and asked me to stay on, and that's really how it all got started. So how much interaction did you have, if any, with Albert Grossman? Um, well, I had a good relationship with Albert. I mean, I tried to stay out of his way, um, but he was always very kind to me. He had a reputation for being you know, mean and short with people, but I never, never found that. Uh, I worked for Bearsville, uh, initially for Bearsville Sound, which was the PA system, and this is before I worked directly for Todd, but, you know, Todd took up most of our activities since he was the, the prime client. Well, he had, for some reason, he apparently liked Todd, wanted to help Todd. I mean, did, did a lot for Todd. Well, what, he, was what, his ma- he was his manager. Right. What, what do and you think? Todd and, Todd and Albert had a sort of a love-hate relationship. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, what do you think? Why, why was it that... You know, they had this relationship. What was the what was the key to it? You think? Well, they were both very, you know, headstrong people, and they both had very clear ideas. Todd is an artist that almost can't be managed in terms of. Uh, uh, I mean, he, Todd uh, wants one hundred percent creative control of everything he does, which you know is is one of the reasons why he's so innovative, and why he's so creative is that he's he does that. But it, it, from a business standpoint, sometimes those decisions aren't always the best, you know, and in terms of his and his career, maybe, you know, some of those are subject to debate, I don't know. Sure. But um and they're debated a lot, trust me. <laughs> right. Um but Albert, you know, had had a uh, a vision of a real artist colony up here and he created, you know, he managed Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin and Albert was um probably single-handedly responsible for turning uh, rock and roll music into big business. The contracts that he negotiated for Janis Joplin after her appearance at the Monterey Folk Festival um, were on the order of tenfold what um, artists could expect to get. Mm-hmm. He was very powerful, very persuasive, and very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And um, and he saw something in Todd. You know, he saw a genius in Todd that that um, even though Todd was very young, he recognized. And he wanted to harness, and he had, you know, Todd not only doing his own music, but but uh, producing other artists. You know, a lot, most of the, well, not most of, but a lot of the work that I did with Todd was involved with other artists, because as well as our own Utopia records and the Todd solo records and that stuff, Todd had a steady diet of production projects through the entire time that I worked with him. Yeah, and a lot of that, you know, apparently Albert was asking for big bucks. It was kind of considered insane, and then people would. Take him up on it to get Todd to be their producer. So, what what did you think about Todd as a producer? I mean, there's lots of mixed feelings, you know, and reports out there. A lot of the bands didn't like the way he handled it, and then of course some just absolutely loved it. You know, what what's your perspective on that? Well, it really really depended on uh, whether Todd was into their music or not. Uh, if if Todd uh, basically did it because you know he needed to pay, you know, keep the lights on. Then um, he, you know, he would not really, uh, he wouldn't be as into it as if he really, really loved uh, loved the music and was really excited about doing it. You know, he was always very excited about doing his own projects. So there was an actual bed in the studio, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's the control room, not in the in the studio, in the control room itself. There was the console in the front and racks along the right side, and in the left rear was an actual double bed. And Todd would hang out on the bed, and 
uh, I would be in the front at the console, and he would read computer magazines and and basically uh, direct direct things from you know the corner uh, during the recording and the overdub process. He would work with the bands and get the arrangements right and stuff like that. And the actual mechanics of the recording were pretty much left up to me. Um, and but when it when it came time to mix, Todd would tell me this is where I shine, and he would. Um, uh, you know, he really, really loved to mix, and um, it was funny because when back, this was back before the days of automated mixing, and um, we had a kind of a technique that we developed, um, it was sort of like by using editing as a poor man's automation. So we would, if we had a song to mix, what basically we would mix the intro and, and record that to you know, um, you know, a two-track tape. Then he'd set up for the next section, we'd roll back, and then we'd, we'd mix that section, and then edit that on, and we'd work our way completely through the song that way. And that way we would assemble the song, and we'd listen to it, and we'd say, oh, well, maybe the guitar should have been up a little bit more in the solo. So we'd go back and do a piece. We were always doing little pieces, you know, maybe a little transition here or there, and cutting them in. And so when you'd finally play the two-track tape, it sounded like you know a washing machine was going through there. There were so many edits on the tape. Finally, I I would make a really good copy of it, and then that would be what we would use. Because the other thing was you know was was um, uh, you know very frail. One time. Okay, everybody, just let you know we have started the chat session. If you want to get involved, that I know a lot of people like it. I've got that started now on our website, reverendradio.com. So as it sounds like to me, and I, I'm not in, the, in this business with you, so um, forgive me if this is a basic question, but I've read you know, some of the bands didn't like the fact that Todd would sit back and read those magazines, but it almost sounds as if his role was you know, after those stages of the recording and that's probably why he could get away with that, I guess, and still produce a good album. Is that no, I, no, he was involved from the beginning. He would definitely help the band choose the material, and he would he would work with them on the arrangements, and and he was he was very involved. But he uh, he had different levels of interest, basically, mm-hmm. depending on whether he was he really thought this was important music or whether it wasn't. So you were involved with with the psychedelic first, some right? Uh, absolutely. The whole okay, because I remember I read a story. I have a book and it that that love my way that Richard wanted to sing that and and like he was angry and Todd said you know what that's that's not a you know this song is is different than that you shouldn't do that and it, and it worked that's actually one of my favorite songs by that band and so it, it matches what you're saying he he was involved you know with the whole process but was able to pick up on this stuff even though he was kicked back on a couch maybe reading a magazine it's kind of interesting I mean I, I could imagine how bands might be upset. Because it appears that he's not interested, but he really was paying attention, I guess. Yeah, he he was definitely paying attention. Um, the psychedelic first uh, uh, session was very very interesting. I mean, the, the band was very volatile. There were fist fights in the band going on wow. all the time. The the drummer Vince Ely would go to bed at you know a reasonable hour, and the rest of the band would come in drunk and you know at four in the morning and piss him off, and then you know so it was it was a uh, it was a volatile situation. Richard wanted to sing at night all the time. He just felt like he's... But, you know, I mean, Todd, we wanted to keep regular hours. We didn't want to be up till 2 in the morning recording every night, so we wanted to keep regular hours. So we had to convince Richard that it was nighttime when he was singing. So what I did is I blacked out all the windows in the vocal booth, and I hung like a tiny little flashlight up above him, 
and uh, gave him the impression that he was like singing under a street lamp. And I gave him a microphone to hold. Even He wanted to hold a microphone. So I gave him one to hold, but he was actually singing into one that was like <laughs> six inches away. So That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you got to be creative. Yeah, no kidding. So what do, what do you do? you got these guys coming in, and they're hammered, and they're supposed to be making an album. I mean, do you, do you stop, or do you let them play, or how does that work? Well, they don't come in hammered to the session. Okay, they're but, just hanging over. But they would, yeah, they would be, uh, you know, they would be um, irritable the next day, we'll say. So that would cause some fights, huh? With the, that's... Todd took a very keen interest in that record, though. And, and one of the clips that I sent you um, actually pertains to that. I don't know if we want to roll that now or... I can I can tell you a little bit about it. Do you have the second thing I sent you? Yeah, the, yeah, sure. Let me. Um, okay, so what what I this just is? Uploaded it. Um, what this is is uh, th- we were working on a song called "Sleep Goes Down," which is the closing song of that record, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's a very involved production. And Todd decided that he wanted to have Flo and Eddie sing the background vocals on it. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but that's who that is singing those super high vocals. Okay. And I just I, the the session was absolutely hilarious. And um, at a certain point in the overdub session, I decided to just record what was going to the headphones of Flo and Eddie. Okay. And um, so there's a little bit of uh, you know I, just to give the the listeners a little bit of the idea of what the back and forth is like in a session. You know, and you know, everybody says, oh, the glamorous life of recording, but as you can see. Or you'll hear in this little clip, it's um, it's a grind, you know, and you try a lot of things, and you can sort of, you know, and Todd was never, never afraid to do something 50 times. I think he did a sax solo on that record. Really? On on something, and he, he took 54 takes or something like that, <laughs> you know, to finally get it. But he had such determination that, uh, you know, if he could hear it, it was, you know, I mean, the part was written in his head, and... When it, his performance finally matched it, then he knew he was done. So, okay. So, how long is this clip? I think it's about four and a half minutes. Something like okay. That. What? Who? Who all is involved in this? Who are we going to hear exactly? We're going to hear Flo and Eddie mostly, okay. and you can hear a little bit of me and a little bit of Todd sort of yelling down the stairs to these guys. Okay. And uh, you'll hear some of the tape, you know. But they're working on a part in the on the end of uh, Sleep Goes Down, and I also uploaded the entire song if you want to play that too. But I don't know if you got that or. That's not with this clip. That's not with this clip. No. Okay. All right. I might be able to get that on. Let me uh, before I play that. Let me let me uh, see if four three four would be willing to hold for just a minute. Four three four, can you wait it out? Sure, man. Who's this? It's Bill Bricker. Bricker, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm listening to a great show. I'm loving it. Keep it going. I, I know you're dying to hear this clip, so I'm gonna put you on hold, and we'll be right back with you in about four and a half minutes. Sounds like all right. Excellent. All right, Bill Bricker, ToddData.com. Okay, here we go with the clip. Let's see if it'll work. I just uploaded it, so hopefully it'll play. This is Psychedelic Furs with Flo and Eddie. All right. (laughs) Hey, Roy, boy. Hey. Is that you? That's the guard. What's up there? That high? I really don't have that low. I'm asking him. I really don't have anything that I want to say. Yeah, we could do. Yeah, a little less lazy though. Any more? Any more? I wanna say. Any more? 
Just an octave. You want to try that and see how that sounds? Me and Howard, like it'd be a unison octave. Two, three. I really don't have anything that I want to say anymore. So I think the airier it is, the better. I mean, for that spacey kind of a dream line. Which is what? The low one? Right. I really don't have anything that I want to say anymore. Two, three. That was the low one. I really don't have anything that I want to say anymore. It's just four beats. Yeah, we will. We okay. Which would you rather have? Soft. Take off a phone. Okay. I really don't have anything that I want to say. That is the part. 
Yeah. The other two, there's a little longer hold. There's really nothing that I'd rather say anymore. Well, uh, Richard was doing two at the end of each verse before. Leading into, come, come, come. Yeah, he was doing one leading into each one, but that's up to you. I don't know. Okay. Implied. Play it from the top then. See if there's anything else. awesome man i appreciate you sharing that with everybody i never did that with anybody else but it was, <laughs> was so hilarious that uh um in that session i mean they were very very funny guys so that's epic I, uh, richard butler is funny to me because his, his voice you, first you hear it you're like how in the world did that guy sing and then you really start listening to it and you just start to like it it's very unique i'll give him that it is he's almost like he gets three notes out of himself at a <laughs> Yeah, I do like them. But uh, let's get Bill on the line because he has been gracious enough to hang tight with us for a little while. Bill Bricker's on. What's up? Hey. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good, Bill. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying the show, uh, much more than I even thought I would. Every show that Doug has been doing has been great. But these uh, these behind-the-scenes clips, I think, you can't get that. Where Where would you get that? You know, I think Internet radio, is just, it rocks. And I hope people are listening and really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so hey, we got more, um, Bill. We got we trying, got a little bit of. Trying to think of what kind of question I had I had for Chris because I know you were through all the Utopia years there, and I heard you talking about that Nelson Ledges show. That was supposed to be the second Todd show I, I ever saw, but um, I couldn't for circumstances I couldn't control. Um, but um, and I love that you were talking about the relationship with Albert Grossman. I think very little has been said to represent Albert's side of the story. Mm-hmm. And my perspective from the fan was always, I was always on Todd's side. That's all I ever heard. Oh, I can't believe they're not releasing Swing to the Right. You know, why are they doing that? And you know, the band was on the, on the road with that album for a year. Basically, you know, not doing anything until Bears were released it. And in retrospect, that wasn't necessarily the smartest record to release after Adventures in Utopia, you know? No, it wasn't at all. You know, yeah, so I'm, I'd really love to hear as much as you can say about Albert's perspective. And also, I've been trying to find out for years um, who controls Bearsville's catalog now and how, can, how for instance, how much control does Sally Grossman have and what is her relationship and her attitudes towards Todd? I've had you know. very, very little contact with Sally over the years. Very little. And... One thing you have to understand is when I was in, in 1975, 76, you know, when I was working for Bearsville, you know, I was a sound technician. And, you know, these huge issues like you're talking about, like Albert's relationship, you know, with, uh, with Todd's releases and stuff like that, just don't filter down, to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to us, you know, that are driving the trucks and stuff like that. But, um did you ever did you ever meet Sally or, or have I've met her a couple times, home? but I don't really have much of a relationship with her. 
Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm, I'm newer into this world. What What is the big deal, and Bill's told me this before, but I, I need to understand a little bit about why Swing to the Right was a, a bad choice to follow up after Adventures in Utopia. What is the main reason for that? Well, uh, I mean, I think Albert was unhappy with the sound of the record. Um, and I don't think it's one of our best, our, our, was our one of our better sounding records. I mean, um, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, it just seemed to take, you know, uh, if, if someone has a success with a record, you know, the fans want to hear more of that. They want to hear more, you know, something similar at least, or something that, that, that grows from that. And it seemed to be quite a departure from that. But, you know, Todd had things that he wanted to explore, and, and he, uh, um, you know, he, he went after what he he was feeling. So that was you kind of... You can't really blame him for that. I mean, we all love him for that. Was know? that Todd's decision to, to mainly to do that, to go to Swing to the Right from Adventures in Utopia? I, I would, yeah, I would definitely I'd probably say so, say yeah. Sure. Okay. They had a very you interesting writing sound, style. During you say the sound, are you talking about something technically in the sounding recording or you mean the sound just in terms of the tenor of the songs and the and the topic? Uh, I think I was th- talking about the, the sound of the recordings. Was there something that, that was done differently in that recording process? Um, uh, it just, it's, it, the record sounds very jammed up to me. And there's, there's um, you know, Todd would, would uh, you know, he was a genius in a lot of ways and, and uh, in some ways, uh, technically, he, you know, he would shoot himself in the foot, frankly. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I, I think that was the that was the objection, as far as I heard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, Bill, you probably have a different perspective. I think you're thinking more that the, the 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 style of music in that album was so much different. Maybe is that what you mean by? Well, to uh, me, I, I hear people talk about the sound of a record, and every now and then they'll talk about it, and it's almost like wine. You don't really notice it until someone says, oh, well, pay attention to this, and then you start to say, oh, I see what you're saying. To me, it was more a matter of the type of album and feeling of content of adventures was very up, pop, you know, not confrontational. There was still some depth in there, but Swing to the Right is very political and very, um, you know, it was a reaction to Reaganism, you know, and right, sure. and um, some people really, really like that tenor, but compared to Adventures, to me it's like, wait, wait, where is this coming from? I didn't look at it that way at the time. I just bought everything Todd made because I needed <laughs> something good on it. So was there, a, was there was like, for you, um, Chris, a, a Well, there was kind of a different writing style experience? for some of that. I mean, mm-hmm. as, a band, as a band did project after project, um, I think most of uh, Adventures in Utopia, the songs were completely written ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the band uh, got through the uh, what was it, the Network record and all that stuff, they would write in in a, in a way that I had never even seen before. But what what would happen was they would come in, uh, they would all show up, and they would. They would just jam. They would find a riff. They would find. They would basically build uh, a track with drums, bass, a guitar part, and a keyboard part, and they would build that with absolutely no idea of what the melody or the lyrics were going to be. They would they would build a track, and they would record track after track after track after track like that with no singing, no no anything, 
And then Todd, in his genius, would listen to these tracks, and he would fit a melody, and he would fit lyrics to those things. And um, you know, and sometimes that was a tremendous success, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes it um, it seemed like uh, it was a difficult a difficult process. But it was a different kind of process in songwriting. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe you're hearing the difference between those that sort of two approaches between those two records. I don't know. Well, they had a long time too uh, to put adventures together because there were no Todd releases in '79. It's the only year of the decade that he had no release. Um, so I think they had a lot of work that went into it, a lot of ideas. Were you involved at the time where they were making the videos? And I heard a story about the lost satellite, like they bought time on an RCA satellite that got lost. And Did you have anything to do with plans, no plans about TV shows and TV episodes well, and any of that? I was I was very involved in the recording studio, and I was involved in the touring. I was a production manager for the uh, the uh, the tours. After the raw tour, I mean, I was on the raw tour as a as a sound man, as the house mixer. Mm-hmm. And after that, I became the production manager for for uh, the the tours and for um, his solo show and stuff like that. Um, I was involved. I built the uh, the audio part of the video studio and um, mm-hmm. and outfitted that and. Um, and was you know peripherally involved in in that, but you know we were so busy with the with other stuff that was going on. He, Todd always had a lot of different projects going on, and he would uh, basically the way it would work is his manager Eric Gardner would would find work or would find somebody that was willing to pay for a production of some sort, and um, or or they would have you know tour offer they would have offers from the age, the booking agency in New York you know well we have these these many dates here you know and here are the guarantees and then he would turn it over to me to organize the nuts and bolts of the entire thing whether it was flying a band in from Australia like uh, Dragon to do a project with them or whatever or take these dates he would tour he would turn it over to me to actually be the nuts and bolts and make sure the project got done and got delivered. So, so these bands that he produced, that you coordinated all the band activities. Which bands? Well, any any of them that he produced that would come to Bearsville, et cetera. Not to, not so much the ones that came to Bearsville. He they you know Eric realized after a while that there was no sense in in uh, in in paying Bearsville any kind of money. Mm. So we started doing all of them in Todd's studio, and we upgraded Todd's studio so that he could he he had he had a sixteen track custom. Uh, uh, console on there and a little 16-track Stevens that he had gotten from uh, was it Sound on Sound or something like that in, in New York City. He had a he had a studio in New York City, I guess before before he came up here. And um, so we upgraded all. We we decided well if we're going to do that we're going to have to be 24 tracks. So I bought a um, I think it was a, an Atari MTR90 and got him a, a Neotech console and outfitted the rest of basically rebuilt the room and then. Then from there we did Cheap Trick and we did the Psychedelic Furs and we did Dragon and we did New England and a bunch of other uh, projects. We did stuff for BB Buell and uh, for her, for her band. Huh? What's that for her band? Yeah, for her really? band. Really? So let me ask you this about Eric. Eric is, if I if I understand what you're saying correctly, Eric's kind of a marketing money money man more than anything. And then he he gets uh, let's say maybe 
contracts for gigs and maybe some studio things. And then from a technical perspective, that's where you step in. Is that what it was like? Well, it was a little more than that. I mean, let's let's talk about a touring situation. For okay. Instance. You got to understand everybody's motivation. The first the first thing you have to understand is the band basically doesn't want to go on the road. They don't want to. They don't want to go. And so, but and Eric is only going to get. He, he makes a, a certain percentage of the gross of the of the tour proceeds, right? Not the proceeds, the gross gross okay. tour. So. Eric's motivation is to get the band on the road, and the band basically doesn't want to go on the road. So Eric will have a string. Let's say, say you'll have 15 dates, and he'll say, all right, well, so here's all the dates, and here's all the cities, and figure out what I can offer the band to do this. And I had just gotten uh, uh, good on a little K-Pro computer and figured out how to work a spreadsheet, and I was able to reliably predict the cost of a tour within 5%. Nice. Every time. So yeah. why do you say, though, before you continue, the band didn't want a tour? I mean, isn't that kind of what they love doing? They, I take it they don't. They're the well, studio guys? or after a while, they, you know, I mean, they're lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know. And, well, Tom's and 59 they, years old. He's toured four times this year. Something's up. Why do you, why do you think that is? Why is he touring now? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he's paying bills. Yeah, okay. But you, you don't think he's a big fan of he's he's doing it more to pay bills. Well, I mean, you know, there's a I mean, no matter what you do, even if you're uh if you're digging a ditch or driving a bus or whatever, you can certainly find <laughs> yeah, work is something work. something positive about your experience. Okay. If you can't, God, you know, life is life is a drag, isn't it? Yeah. No matter what you're doing, you can find something positive about it. But basically the band didn't want to go on the road. All right. And so since I could Predictive, you know, I could tell them, all right, well, you know, I would figure out all the mileage between the dates, the fuel rate consumptions of the bus and these two tractor trailers and what the rental on the lights was going to be and what the crew was going to cost and the per diems and everything, the hotels in every city, and I would figure it all out. And I'd say, all right, Eric, well, if this happens, and even if we don't make any percentage deals, you're going to be able to tell the band they're going to make $30,000 each to be able to go on the road. And for him to be able to say that, Time after time after time, it had to be accurate because you couldn't you couldn't uh, you couldn't tell them they're going to make thirty thousand at the end of the tour, give them twenty four thousand or whatever it was. I'm just, just those are not real numbers. Right, I understand. For example, okay. you know you have to you have to be able to say, all right, well this is what it's going to be, and that's what made me ve- for many many years very valuable to um, Eric Gardner and to the organization mm-hmm. because I could control the details. And the things that I refused to do were to babysit the band. I didn't want to get the band. So I hired people like Mary Lou Arnold and, and, and other people to get the band from A to B. Right. And I didn't want to have anything to do with the press because the press is like, it's just never ending. Bad news, huh? That's what do you mean? News. What do you mean? What do they do? Well, I mean, you've got interviews to set up in every city. You've got uh, all that stuff. And basically, what makes it really bad is the band really doesn't want to do that. Okay. They would rather sit in, in the hotel rooms or do something else other than do interviews. Unless, of course, it's Roman Radio because they've been great about coming. Yeah. Up. Well, I mean, this is this is a very special thing, and I'm, I'll tell you, I'm very honored to be uh, involved. I appreciate with it. you being out. And uh, but anyway, those are the two things I didn't do. But I did everything else. I did all the money. I was a production manager. So we planned the production, hired the crews, you know, organized the entire tour, and. Um, uh, so you were an accountant, an engineer. I mean, you did all kind of stuff for him. Well, I did lots of stuff, yeah. Yeah. 
even more, even more when we just um, ask just one last question to get off and listen, and maybe let somebody else get in here. Um, I'm also just arriving home and having demands there too. I was curious, my last question. I'm just going to go to listen mode then. Is um, is if you can say anything about um, the fan magazines of the, the the icon. I've heard stories about how that almost made it and didn't make it. I didn't know if you knew anything about those transactions or any. Um, I don't really know. Any, I don't really know anything about them. I mean, I, I recognize the name now. Now that you say okay. it, the icon. Uh, but in terms of any stories, would be, or would be any curious story you might tell about interaction with the fans. Todd, I think, has a very unique connection with his fans and is very much into um, the give and take part of that. And if you had any fan stories that you might relate. And uh, well, the and fans, I'm going to listen, but I'm just going to say thanks for being on. I'm really, really enjoying this. Yeah, sure. And, well, um, nice talking I, to you. I, I hope you come on again when you have more, especially more tapes. Those are those rock. That's excellent. Bill, you're you're going to Birchmere, right? Oh, I'm going to be there. I got uh, got Todd's uh, post framed poster ready to go. Very good. Um, I'm on a high. So. We got we got another clip from Chris coming up. It's going to be the last ride. And when what year was that, Chris? It was New Year's Eve, 1980. Wow. In a sold out Richfield Coliseum. There you go. We got some old school coming up, so be sure to stick around, Mr. Bricker. I may have been there for that one. <laughs> there you go. All right, Bill Bricker, ToddData.com. Appreciate you giving us a call. We got another call from five eight five. Unless you want to answer that question first, for Bill. Well, I, I would just like. I mean, I don't know about a specific story. I mean, we went around the country so many different times that we felt like in every city there were people that would come back every time and would. It, it was like a family. I mean. We would have, I remember one time we had a Thanksgiving day off, but we were like between, I don't know, Des Moines and God knows where, Oklahoma City or something. And we were, got, the whole crew got invited to a Thanksgiving dinner in someone's home. Um, in every city we had really good friends that, and, uh, you know, and lots of, uh, uh, you know, it just, it, it felt good. It, you know, for someone who's on the road, um, you know, that's what you really miss about being on the road. I mean, you have your friends in the crew and your friends in the band and stuff like that, but the band and the crew really don't travel together. Mm -hmm. on, you have to understand that the band, uh, the crew travels at night, or at least I insist they do. Mm -hmm. I insist that the crew travel after the show because if there's a breakdown or that you need more time or something like that, mm -hmm. um, if you've slept and then you're trying to leave at 6 in the morning to make a 10 a.m. call 200 miles away or something like that and there's any kind of problem, you you know... You you missed your your call. So I always insist that we travel, and we may lose sleep if we have a problem. But you know we'll be there, which is to the consternation of the crew because the crew have made, you know, they've met all these girls in the city, and <laughs> all they want to do is you know is, is you know I'm saying all right, everybody on the bus, let's get out of here. Uh, we're not. Yeah, we don't probably want to go down that road too much. But <laughs> well, <we're good. laughs> maybe another show. We'll have a special show, creepy show or something. Well, what about fans compared to in five eight five? I'm I'm going to get you on here in just a second. What about fans compared to say uh, Muscle White or Psychedelic First? I mean, Todd once called his fans cultish, which I would agree with that. I'm one of those. I mean, I'm not saying I'm in a cult, but it's just different. I don't know what it is. I like a lot of music and a lot of different bands, but for some reason. It is, and maybe that's a plus in the fact that he hasn't, uh, you know, gotten as big as Madonna or U2 or something. So you can go to a show, and there's a good chance you're going to get to talk to the band and maybe even Todd, and you're going to see people that you know. It, it really is uh, uh, quite different, I think, 
I mean, what, what did you did you notice any differences well, from other bands you worked with? I felt very very fortunate um, to be uh, associated and to be working for an organization that the theme of the music was so positive. Um, and you know, when you were when you're doing songs like uh, Just One Victory and uh, Love Is the Answer and The Verb yeah. to Love, and you're doing you know, these are very very positive themes and and. You know, so much of the music um, that uh, you know that was out there and still is out there is so negative and just so violent, unnecessarily violent, and you know, it's just it just it's shock value. Right. And I felt fortunate, uh, you know, to be associated with something like that. And I think that's why the fans are so. Um, you know, are so steadfast over sure. the years. But, you know, it, it kind of shifted gears, though, later on after you were gone. You know, the individualists and these type of things, liars, of course. Uh, you know, there, there's a different theme. It's a lot different. And this tour is a lot different. You're not going to hear Verb to Love and Victory, Just One Victory and those type of things. So he's kind of got, got it all. And I don't know what what you thought about those. I don't know if you've kept up with it since then. But it, it's not negative like, for example, some kind of rap music or some kind of music where you're talking about, you know, heavy metal or you're talking about some, you know, death or whatever. It, it's, but it's, it's a powerful message. He has a message, and well, it is a lot has different. A message. And you know, we, my company did the um, the Liars uh, DVD release. Oh, okay. Uh, which we taped up in the Egg up in Albany and mm-hmm. the six camera shoot. And you know, I I since I uh, left, um, or since we parted. Uh, you know, I hadn't really kept, you know, that that close with um, a lot of, uh, you know, what Todd has been doing. I mean, I've, on the periphery, I have, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, I've never have been a Todd fan. You know, it's always been a professional relationship sure. with me. You're the line producer on the Liars DVD. I got it right here, Woodstock, New York. Yeah, I mean, I, I put right. the whole, I put the whole shoot together. It's nice. That's a great DVD. Yeah. If you don't have it, folks, Todd Rugger and Liars Live. Check eBay or uh, Amazon.com or somewhere you can find it. It's it's great stuff. And John Frenzik's on there, of course, who we've had as a guest. Prairie Prince, Castle, we've had everybody, I think, on here. So it's all good. All right, let's uh, take a caller who's been waiting very patiently. 585, you're with us. Hello. Hello. Hello, this is Veggie Girl calling. Veggie Girl, second time to call. We appreciate it. Well, I had to talk to Chris. Good job. Chris, it's nice to uh, hear your stories and your perspective. Um, I I think Todd might have been able to use you for the Liars Tour, <laughs> your uh, spreadsheet and your uh, management skills. From what I understand, Todd lost money on that tour, mm. which is kind of a shame. Well, um, I don't know that we lost any on, on the tours that I did, but... No, I just... I, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of things that can go wrong, believe me. Uh, yeah. Well, that's just what I heard. But um, anyway, I'm calling because I actually met you about 22 years ago at a church in Waterville, New York. Where oh, you stood, where, we, where we stored the... Uh, the raw set. The raw set. Yeah. Wow. Well, do, you remember, do you remember that night? <laughs> sure. Oh, well, I, I do. I don't remember you specifically, but I do remember that, you know, bringing it up there and trying to set it up in there. I think I think at four in the morning we were finally done or something like that. It was. Yeah. Then you guys, I couldn't believe you guys got in the truck and went back down to Saugerties. Well, that's the way you do it in rock and roll. Oh my God, it was yeah. exhausting. 
1985. But you, but you, yeah. that's the way it is every night. You know, it's it's one in the morning. You've just well, this wasn't a just, tour. You guys were volunteering your time. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you that the thing that drove drove us to having to leave was that we were paying. Uh, we had gotten that truck for financial reasons. That truck had come back in off of some tour uh, that Ultrasound was using, and and we had a warehouse that um, shared uh, some space with Ultrasound. So they had they had this truck rented for the day, oh. basically, and they didn't need it for the full day. So we timed it so that we got the use of that truck. It was a 45-foot air ride tractor trailer. Yeah, and we got the use of it for the rest of the day, and or just paid, you know, half a day or something like that. So that's why we had to get it back because we, you know, <laughs> slept there or something like that, or not returned the truck, then um, somebody would have had to pay another thousand dollars or something. So it's all practical. I guess so. You know, at the time I was just so in awe with the whole thing because I'd lived at the church, so I had this raw set in my house for as long as I lived there, and then I, of course, left. Mm-hmm. But um, well, it you left have there. it has left there. It did leave, yeah. It left there. And went, it went where? back into storage at the uh, Utopia Video, the basement of Utopia Video, and then uh, that property got sold, along with all a lot of the Grossman uh, property, and uh, it it needed to be um, it needed to be uh, removed from there, and so I had to mount another expedition like that. Oy. And uh, and and extricated from there, and it all came over to my property here in Sargates, and and many of the pieces are still here. Um, there was a gentleman, the guy that invented Netscape, who lives in uh, I can't remember his name, but his uh, who lives in uh, New Bedford, Rhode Island, I guess it is. He um, wanted just the pyramid part of it. So, so we trucked the pyramid, the, the stage and the pyramid, and set it up in a field. And this guy is—he's very wealthy, and he goes out there and he sits under the pyramid and and, uh, and feels energized. And he's a huge Todd fan. Todd, Todd. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow, that's wild. So we still have the. Um, you have, the you have Maurice. We still have Maurice, and uh, and those parts here. And if anybody's interested in them, they should uh, definitely email me because they're taking up a lot of space here. Put them on eBay. Yeah, perhaps. Make huh. a little money. Do you have the uh, dragon head? You know, the dragon head was cool. We had that, but I don't... I think, think Roger slayed it and it's gone. I think we still have that somewhere. It's probably in pieces, but there's some other stuff. Yeah, Roger slayed it. Yeah, he killed it. Um, do you have any interesting stories from that this tour that, unfortunately, I was too young and missed that? The rock tour? Yeah. Um, well, probably the most memorable... T- this, you know, uh, night was a night in St. Louis when um, we had the whole thing set up and there was a sold-out house. And it was about four in the afternoon. And this was a, a legitimate theater that had been, I don't know if it was the Fox Theater in St. Louis or what. I can't remember the exact theater. But um, in any legitimate theater, there are platforms or parts of the of the staging that are on hydraulics. And they go up and down, like the orchestra pit will go up and down, depending on whether the orchestra's there or they want to use that for. And there are other parts. There are parts in the wings that you don't usually see that, that set pieces can move up and down on. And in this particular house, there was about a 10, I don't know, 10 by 10 uh, uh, section of the stage up center 
that um, had a, had the mo- when they when they were running movies in the place, a, a speaker would come up through the floor, and uh, and then would be behind the screen. They drop a screen in front of them, and they had the speaker behind it. So for for anything else, they drop this thing down. So it's about 4:30 in the afternoon, and most of the, this was fairly fairly uh, far into the tour, so everybody had their jobs really really down. And I think. You know, we were waiting for the band to show up at probably at five o'clock to do a sound check. And it was about four thirty, and myself, uh, I was tweaking speakers or something like that. You know, behind one of the PA stacks. I think it was the, the stage left PA stack. And the other, the only other guy that was on stage was Chuck Allen, and Chuck Allen was in charge of Roger Powell's very finicky keyboards. And there was an incredible tuning process that he had to go through every day to get all these oscillators in tune. And um, so he was doing that. And um, I think that somebody had come in and they said, all right, well, we need to adjust it. There's a certain time of the day when you bring in all the curtains and you basically trim the house so, so that you know it looks the right, the right way. And so I think that they were trying to raise or adjust the height of the orchestra pit. Right. And one of the local stagehands hit the hydraulic, um, the hydraulic lift for the speakers. Mm-hmm. And... Raised it probably four, four and a half to five feet right under the middle of the raw set. Right. And you have to understand that the the pyramid was held up by a pair of steel cables that crisscrossed. Ran under, that ran underneath the, under the, the stage. Set. So those things, those things came up, and um, Willie's uh, Willie's uh, drum riser was ringed with you know a couple hundred gallons of water for the water fountains. Sure. And uh, it was like a San Francisco earthquake. And I remember looking over at Chuck Allen, and and it was just like he he didn't know which key, he was trying to grab all the keyboards that he could, oh, no. and then he was just like slipping off the stage with the keyboards under his arms as they were as they were sliding down. So all this water, the, the main electrical disconnect and distribution system was directly under the drum riser. Now you have 200 gallons of water all on on top of all the electrical equipment, and. Before they'd left, the stagehands had locked the electrical disconnect box, so there was no way we could turn the electricity off. Uh-oh. So we had a very dangerous situation. Yeah. And uh, we had to cancel this, that show that night. And I think that is one of two times that I was on the road that we had to actually cancel a show due, due to a technical problem. Like that. Oh, crap. But that was, a, that was a bad night. But we, But fortunately, we had the next night off, and so we did the show the next night. Oh, good. So there you go, Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that pyramid was was tricky to raise. I remember at the church we had to cut a hole in the ceiling because the lift that raised the pyramid was taller than the actual ceiling. Of right. It. So why were you stored at church? Is that where they were going to play, or just a place well, to store it? Well, we just wanted to store it. That's we had we had um, you know a warehouse, and the and the, that thing took up a lot of room. So we let Ruth Rungren know, and she put it out in, in some newsletter or something like that. Utopia Times. Uh, and said, you know. Looking for a home for this. <laughs> and Veggie Girl found the church, right? And so, well, we yeah. were, my boyfriend at the time had bought it and, and was living there. And so we had, Sweet. the whole sanctuary space was empty. It was, And it was great when it was gone. Because, yeah. you know, it used to take up like a quarter of the, of the warehouse. So did we had free, all the space. Did you get free tickets to the show, Veggie Girl, for helping with storage? No. 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 But, that's, I didn't care. I was. I had the, you know, the, the, the original road cases with the Utopia logo on there, and yeah. you know, the whole pyramid. I had every, we had everything. We had, 
We gave you as much stuff as we could possibly give you. Yeah, I'm sure. She racked us. That was 1985, 2007, and you saw Todd a couple nights at the trial, am I correct? I saw him Saturday night, yeah. How about it? It's great. You know, it's it's, what you were saying earlier about Bill or somebody was saying, you know, Todd shows are very intimate because there's just this understanding with the audience about Todd's music and, and, you know, I would love to see Todd be extremely successful. I think we all would, but we don't want to lose that intimacy of a Todd show, you know, seeing him at a club. Well, the trial sold out early. How big is that place? It's pretty small. It's like five or 600. And they had tables. If they had taken the tables out and made it standing room, it would have been, first of all, more fun. Mm-hmm. The second of all, we could have gotten a lot more people in there. So were you all able to stand up and dance, or did you have to sit? For no, we had to sit. Really? I, but I got up at the last song because I couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> I couldn't sit it anymore. What was your favorite song? Um, Worldwide Epiphany. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great ending, and he he just gets yeah. into it with the dance and everything. For a 59-year-old, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Right. he's ageless. He's just he's just Time like the music. From 85 to 2007, Veggie Girl has been see, has been with Todd for a long time. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. All right. Good. You got any other questions for Mr. Anderson? No, just thank you for, for coming on and for all of your work through the years, and, and I wish you good luck. Well, thank you very much. It's very nice uh, being here. Veggie Girl, thanks for calling. We'll see you on TR Connection when Roger cool. gets that thing working. All right, we're going to take a break. Chris, if you can hang with us for a little while. Yeah, sure. We're going to have this is called the Dustin 29 bio break because he came up with this when we did our first two-hour show and wanted a break. This, what I'm going to play now, everybody's going to get a long break here. This is about six minutes and some change. This is a quick rundown of the entire set list that Todd is doing right now. With the exception of Trapped, which is not a guaranteed part of the set list. That just happens to be on uh, short notice every now and then they'll add it. So this is the one that was in Texas and New Orleans and probably the one most of you will see unless you have some kind of way of talking Todd into playing Trap and Chasm. So that is going to happen, and then we'll be right back. We're going to talk to Chris some more. We've got a clip that he sent me. This is, the, of course, the last ride that we talked about, and we're going to talk about 1987 and when Chris left Todd and the group. And all that good stuff. We're going to have a lot of fun, and you're welcome to call again at 646-716-9262. Here we go. We'll be back in about six minutes and some change. Enjoy this.
privilege of going to see Todd. Woo! Gives me goose gums. I had a great time seeing that show. Boy, it's a rocking it. show, isn't it? I tell you what, it's uh, it's all about guitar on that show. Something else. Wow. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that. That is my production. I wanted to impress Chris with a little engineering from nice, an amateur. Nice editing there. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Audacity. I love you. Great stuff. We got Cruiser Mail on hold, but before that, I want to see if I could get a couple more concert stories out of you. 
Well, let me see. One is a kind of a uh, it's kind of a nature story in a way, or a physics story, shall we say? We were uh, we were booked uh, to play this gigantic um, venue in Nebworth, England, one time, and um, the first weekend, the uh, we were we were. I think the the next uh, headlining act. There was a bunch of acts before us, but the uh, the weekend before, or the first weekend, the headlining act was was a band called the New Barbarians. I think it was, which was elements of the Rolling Stones. And the second second weekend was Led Zeppelin. And um, we had a song, as probably most of you know, called Jealousy. And this was a gigantic venue. There was five hundred thousand kids there, and it was a long and narrow. Um, venue. It wasn't like a bowl shape like, a, like the Woodstock Festival. It was fairly long. The, the crowd was, uh, was about 1,200 feet deep. And I was about 350 feet back from that, and, which is a very long way you know, for a sound mixer. Um, usually in, in a normal arena, I'm back about 85 to 100 feet. But in this case, I was 350 feet back in this crowd. And so we do the song called Jealousy, and, and Willie uh, played bass on that and sang the lead vocal down center. And at a certain point in the song, he would clap over his hands and get the whole crowd to clap with him. And uh, and everybody in the entire audience was clapping on the beat. The thing was, the beat was traveling back through the audience at 1,100 feet per second, which is the speed of sound at sea level, of course. And so it would take a full second to go from the front of the stage all the way to the back and you could actually witness the speed of sound as it traveled because you could see everybody was clapping on the beat, but the beat was going back at 1,100 feet a second. I'll never forget that. It was <laughs> That's pretty nice. Thrilling. Sure, just thrilling. people didn't have it rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really cool. Yeah. And um, the other story I want to tell was kind of another disaster story. I know it's, it's, I mean, those kind of things kind of stick in your mind. But those anyway, are the better stories, yeah. The <laughs> We, we've seen the good stuff. That's why Apollo facts. 13 is the one you remember. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, we had two shows back to back. This is all. This is like the, the most rock and roll kind of uh, weekend I think I ever had. But we had a show uh, in Belmont Park on Long Island and on like a Friday, and on a Saturday night we had one in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, just getting to the, I mean. We had, I think they had probably had the one in Columbus booked uh, uh, first, and then they came up with the other uh, opportunity, and, and Eric probably came to me and said, is there any way we can make these two shows? How, how can we possibly do this? And there was only one commercial flight after um, the show in Belmont to be able to make, to be able to get to, um, to Columbus in time. And so we, uh, we, we played our set at the, at the Belmont racetrack, and I hired a helicopter to get the band from the Belmont Bass Track to the to LaGuardia Airport. Um, and I told the crew, look, it's only a five-minute flight. You know, How many people I, can you get on? I mean, that's well, I mean, they, they could get the whole band. Really? So you could get like four, okay. four or five people in the, in the helicopter. Sweet. And I told the crew, look, I have to hire this helicopter for an hour minimum. There's no way I can hire it for 15 minutes, even though the flight's five minutes. So listen, if you guys can pack up your stuff... In, in a, I think it was 11 minutes or less, then we will send the helicopter back and then the crew will be able to fly. And instead of driving all night to Ohio, you guys will be able to fly. Well, they had the stuff 
you know, packed up in seven minutes. And we had enough time to have a drink in the airport bar before we got out there. So, so we went to Columbus, Ohio, and it was probably uh, one of the biggest gigs that Todd has ever done. Now, you have to understand that Ohio was absolutely hallowed ground for Todd. And we, when we would plan a tour, we would hit Ohio on the way out, and we'd hit it again on the way in. Now, why is that? Why is Ohio such such? I a have place? no idea, but but he has such strong fan support there. Except that, for the Hall of Fame in Cleveland, but that's another story for another day. Well, that's. Um, I mean, he just has a, a lot of. I mean, we could sell shows there basically, and yeah. I mean, if we could sell shows, then we would do it. So we would milk Ohio on the way out, and we'd do it again on the way in. So you know, on that on this particular show in Columbus, we had a one hundred thousand dollar guarantee, which was unheard of for us. Wow. And we were the headlining over, we headlined over Cheap Trick, The Cars, and Eddie Money. We were bigger than all those bands in, in this particular spot in Ohio. Nice. Now, you know, if it had been someplace else, you know, any one of those guys could probably have, uh, would have headlined over us. So anyway, we had a big show there that day, and we wanted to make it an especially big show. And so I hired the pyrotechnician from Blue Oyster Cult. To come in, and I said, "Look, we really want to. We want to spend a little bit of extra money. I had a little bigger budget for that show, so we want to spend a little extra money. And we want a really big, you know, ending." So he said, "Don't fear the reaper, then." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what what happened was he set up all these concussive flash pots, and um, he set them all up in front of the PA speakers. And we had hired a, a really premium Claire Brothers sound system for this gig, and it was, sounded unbelievably great. And so, you know, we were doing, it was probably Do Ya or Couldn't I Just Tell You or something like that. I can't remember what we ended the set with on that day, but it was one of those. And there was a queue at the end where um, all the flashbots, all these bombs basically would go off. And... Uh, so the band went off. The bombs went off. They were unbelievable. And the the band went off, and they came back on to play um, probably just one victory or something like that. And I noticed, God, the sound system really doesn't sound the same at all. And, you know, and, and there's a technician that's working with me, and I'm saying, oh, so what's what's going on with it? And then all of a sudden, the intercom light lights up, and, and the, the other sound technician on stage who you know was the, working for the sound system says, they just blew up all the 18-inch speakers because the guy, because the guy had set up the bombs in front of all the woofers, and the concussion had taken out every one of them. Oops! And the lawsuits for that went on for years and years. And so, how much was that kind of equipment? What was it worth? Uh, I don't know. It was tons, tens of thousands of dollars. You know. Wow. You know, or I mean, I don't know what. You know, when, the night you get Eric Gardner on, you can ask him that. Uh, and whose fault was this? Uh, it was the the pyrotechnician. The guy that I hired from Blue Oyster Cult oh, the... set him up in the wrong place. <laughs> oh. Oops! But it was a great show. <laughs> yeah, till the end, till just one victory That's destroyed all the equipment. I was just, I was just pleased that we didn't, that we he didn't use the bombs on the first. On yeah, the first that would have been that would have been, been really bad. Third show that you had to cancel, yeah, <laughs> right. for problems. Very good. All right, well. Well, anyway, there's a couple of war stories. Tonight. There you go. I like those. Those are great. We've had some really good ones on the show. Roger Powell had some funny ones as well. So that's great stuff. I've been really enjoying this, and we're going to let our resident caller, Melinda, in on the action. Melinda, how are you doing over in Texas? I'm doing quite well. Am I too loud tonight? No, you're great. Yeah, well, that's because I'm holding the phone across the <laughs> kitchen. But <laughs> Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Nice to see you. 
very, very interesting stories. I, I was just listening through the phone, and all oh, those were good. I love that. Hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I uh, have this reputation, apparently, um, on Rungren Radio that I ask the stupid question of the night. But we I love really the do. question. We love the question. <laughs> it's well, the really same question it. every time? Yeah. Yes. For, oh, okay. Well, well you know what this is, Doug, right? No, I do. Okay. I've been waiting. <laughs> it's actually fairly interesting, actually. Some of the stories have been, especially with the feet don't fail me now video. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, here's the question, Chris. Was there ever a time, like you, you said that you hired uh, Mary Lou. So prior to hiring Mary Lou, Right. Was there ever a time where you were responsible for doing the laundry for the guys? Where I was? Never. Yeah. Never. Good I'd for you. <laughs> plenty on my plate uh, without that. Do you remember how the guys did the laundry back then? That's, she's writing a book about rock stars and how they do their laundry on tour. Boy, Can I you give know. us some insight? As I said, that was there was a couple of areas that I refused to get involved in. <laughs> and it's just that kind of stuff that I really didn't want to get involved in. And that and, and dealing with the press. Yeah. So I'm sorry I can't help you out. There. Well, how about for yourself? How do I do my laundry on yeah, the road? On the road. You go to the laundromat. Oh, yeah? Absolutely. So in between breaks. I mean, you there. find a day off. A day, and, and a day off on the road is, is not like a day off for anybody else. A day off on the road is a day that it's too far to drive, you know, and do a show the next day. It's like 500 miles away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a, a drive of that long you can't rely on being able to be there on time, so generally don't don't uh, schedule something back to back if it's far away. So that's a, a day off is a day that you only have to drive 500 miles instead of doing a show and driving 200 miles. Right. Well, cool. Well, thanks so but much. But I do remember Willie time. driving. Uh, driving. Uh, there was a there was a uh, a period when Willie had. A, a relationship with Floyd Patterson, the boxer. Yeah. Actually, he's going to be coming up on this. You have to ask him about this. Okay. And uh, he had he had this thing called a heavy bag, and it, and he was like really into training and and doing like boxing work, you know. And he had this gigantic, you know, thing weighed about 150 pounds, and he would he would, uh, well, you know, we'd have to haul this thing around for him into the hotels and get it set up for him, and it was just. He would drive, drive people crazy with us. Willie had a way of driving people crazy anyway. <laughs> but uh, we love him. We love Willie. <laughs> okay, good. So, hey, I, don't know how did, I don't know how he did his laundry, but I'm sure that he changed hotel. He made him change hotels because he didn't like the laundromat at some point. Really? Oh, oh, that's so cool. Thanks almost, for the scoop. I always wanted to that, ask. But There's just some scoop for when Willie's on. He would deny it probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. Hey, thanks. Uh, Thanks for all your work and helping bring Todd to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, it's been a pleasure. Okay. And, Doug, yes, um, if, when you talk to your wife, um, you need to um, make sure that you sing the words properly. Worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> you keep it up. Keep all right. I'll talk to you, you know, later. You know what I have. I have Cruiser Mel singing Liz Estrada after a few too many drinks on tape. I will pull it out if I have to. You can take that to the bank. Hey, let me give you an update right quick. And Cruiser Mail, I know you love the song we're going to play here in a little while, which is The Last Ride. But I did check. I'm able to get on Roger's site. I missed the show. It was not on Ticketmaster, and that's in New Haven, Connecticut. That is the 18th. That's at Toad's Place. Not Todd's, but Toad's Place. 
and there's a chance that you can get free tickets to that show on a radio station that's having a giveaway, a Todd fan called Private Universities on TRC. And if you go to the forums, you can find out how to do it. I'm trying to see if there's a link to the website. I believe it's go to myspace.com backslash chocolate cake 881. The live show is on WESUFM.org. And they're going to be giving away four pairs of tickets to that show. So if you're in that area, check it out. 88.1 FM in that area, New Haven, Connecticut. And that is a show that is going to finalize the 2007 tour of Todd. And then they roll into 2008, and we'll check to make sure I didn't miss anything there. Again, if you want to call in, the number is 646-716-9262. We're going to play this, I guess this has never heard before, right? Well, I don't know if it has been. Um, it was uh, It was, probably was heard that night. It Obviously. was probably a live radio show as well. Oh, really? Okay. W, let me just see if I can look at the cassette here. It's probably uh, WMMS, uh, if I could find the cassette here. Well, he's looking for that. Anybody that's on TR Connection, if you can look for me... There were seven songs on the 40th anniversary that we had that were, we had no live copies of. I remember we got a woman. Uh, we got to get you a woman, excuse me. And um, fade away. If you can get me the rest and call in and tell them, we're gonna see if Chris can find some. He's got cassettes running through okay. his whole house, and maybe we can get that so we can complete all of the 20. We picked one song from each album for the 40th anniversary, the best song, and we're trying to make a live. You know, uh, CD of that, and we were missing about seven songs. So if you know what those are, give me a call tonight at six four six seven one six nine two six two. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was WMMS. So this was, was on radio. It was a radio show. Um, Sorry. And it was Richfield Coliseum, which is just south of Cleveland, and it was, uh, I believe, a sold out show. So I mean, you you listen to the crowd on this thing, and it's it's huge. Good stuff. And it's one of my favorite songs, and I always, you know, he did this song for a long time. I don't know if he's still does it or not but it was one of my favorite songs because not only is it is it kind of a ballady thing you were talking before about the the ballads versus the guitar songs but this has got both in it yeah yeah and it's a great uh, song and he, he i've heard it on a lot of different live cds but it's definitely not part of the current tour but we're going to get a taste of it tonight i'm going to play that right quick we'll be right back with you thank you Well, you know, too much rock and roll can cause fatigue. We don't want to get too fatigued because we've got a lot of boogieing to do later on in the show, especially around the midnight hour. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. we got a whole decade to kick off here. Don't waste any of that energy. Okay, this is a little number to gird your loins on. Okay, you may want to gird your neighbor's loins on this one. The loins is going to be graded because it's the land. This little game is over. It's the land. Yeah. 
How about it? That's the last ride. We appreciate Chris sharing that with us. That was quite a song, wasn't it? Uh, I, I love that song. Isn't it a good one? There's so many good ones like that. But we got a call here from Chicago. I'm going to take a guess. It's Rockwello. Am I right? Oh, yes. Let me turn down my computer. Do you Rockwell. still need the list of the missing songs? Yes. Can you speak up a little bit? Yes. Great. Hi. What do you got for me? Okay. Um, it's we got to get you a woman. Okay. Wailing Wall. I think you know. Is that love? Fade away. And God said. Now I've got God said actually. I found it, so I'm good on that one. Did you ever hear Chris Wailing Wall or any of these songs live? I think uh, we got to get you a woman. We used to do. Really? I think way back, like when in the Moogie days. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. You think you got a copy of that? I don't know. I've got a lot of tapes here, but... That'd be really good. <laughs> it's, it would take me from now until New Year's. <laughs> We'd really appreciate it. Wailing Wall, I think you know, is that love and Fade Away. Fade Away is just... I can't imagine that's never been done live. Yeah, I don't know. you got to think it's out there. But I've got God said from the uh, Liar Cerritos, so I will... I've Actually, I think I've played that before, Rockwell, but I appreciate you giving us the scoop on that. So okay. we're down to five songs we need. We got to get you one. Would be great live. That would be funny. I know there was a time where somebody's got a tape where he, he did a you know a couple of chords from it or something, but it wasn't the whole song. Uh-huh. So that'd be good. We know you got some good stuff in the closet. You'll 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 get for us at some point, right? Well, if I mean if I have it, I, mean, I have a lot of stuff from Europe. Yeah. Uh, you know that was '77, and we did did a lot of stuff there. But I'm thinking that. Um, you're looking for a period that was around, you know, 75 or something like that, you know, 74 even. You don't know. care when it was as long as we get it. It's all good. UK is – actually, we have a lot of UK listeners. They have to check it out the next day. They have to do the the um, archives. But we actually have RAI. Laura does the web, MySpace page for us, and they've created a a 30-minute uh, clip of people from France and – London and all these places that are going to be wishing people happy holidays and stuff. We're going to play that soon on one of the shows. But uh, another thing that we've noticed, you haven't busted one out yet, but we've got several of the guests for some reason like to bust out their British accents when they're talking about touring on the U.K. or, or, or different stories. It's pretty funny. So we've got some of those as well. I think Rockwellow hung up on us. We were going to try to get her to ask a question, but she has disappeared. So bye, Rockwellow. We appreciate you calling. So now, tell me about these 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 cassettes that you do have. How did you actually? I mean, are those? Did you record each show, or did y'all? Or these radio? Well, I, I you know, I mean, I was very serious about what I did, and I would record the show. And um, I mean, it was back at a time when my own self-esteem rode completely on how good a mix I did, you know, that night. And I did, uh, fortunately, <laughs> for the people that live around me, that's not the case anymore. But you know, I was very serious. Uh, uh, about being, you know, the best sound engineer that I could possibly be, and I would record the show every night, and um, and I would listen to it, and I would uh, I would um, you know make adjustments and and see which what what worked and what didn't, and uh, you know the live sound mixing, uh, and the reason I don't do it anymore really is that it's just it's just such a compromise because you know you may have the best sound system in the world you may have a great band but you're playing in a hockey arena with a glass up and it's just it's nearly impossible to to deal with some of the acoustic situations you have i can tell you one funny story um and that is a show that we did uh, in comac arena on long island one time 
and uh, it happened to be the very first time I ever saw Cheap Trick, and it, it was, they were the our opening act that night. And boy, did they ever blow our minds that night! But it was Comac Arena was being used for a flea market during the entire day that we were setting up. So they had the state they had the stage set up right down on one end, and the rest of the floor where all the people were going to be was this, this flea market where people were selling gloves and underwear and, you know, stuff like that. That doesn't sound good. Well, <laughs> it was actually funny because they cleared a little space for me to set up my my sound console in the middle of all this. <laughs> That's and so, you know, I had all these all these people going around, and then I ended up putting price tags on all the, all the components, like, you know, $24,000 for the soundboard and, you know. <laughs> and it Those was really were flea funny. market prices, though. And then at six o'clock, the entire flea market cleared out, and the crowd rolled in, and they they saw Cheap Trick and followed by Utopia for the. So first. you like seeing Cheap Trick live, huh? Oh, they were fantastic. Really? We we I mean, you know, they just they had a stage presence that was just unbelievable. Cheap Trick. All right, good deal. We've got a couple callers. We better get them in because we don't want to miss out on that action or keep anybody out. We got a caller from eight five zero. Is that the area code? Yes. Okay. 850, you with me? Well, 850. Hello. All right, so 850 is not there. 972? I'm here. There you go. Who we got? Uh, this is Liz from Texas. Liz, trcookbook.com. What's going on? Hey. Hi, Chris. This is, uh, you're doing a great job. This is very interesting. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm very, enjoying it very much. Um. I was going to call early so no one would ask my question, but Bill kind of did. So um, I don't know if there's anything else to revisit, but um, got to be something. In the early days, uh, which I couldn't get much information on, being from Texas, is uh, Todd the whole video thing. I would like to know what your involvement was with that, and I understand from other people he was like way ahead of his time on, um, you know, on that whole everything he was doing. I don't know what he was doing, but you probably do, and so I was just curious about that well i mean todd saw an opportunity for a new art form and um and and thought that video would be a much more creative thing that it ended up turning out to be but he had a project and i wasn't really that involved i wasn't really involved at all with this project but he uh the bearsville studio had two two studios in it one was the studio b which was finished off uh which was a smaller studio and where most of the big records were made and mm-hmm. were mixed and then Studio A was this gigantic room. I mean, it was it was you could play tennis in this room. It was so big. Wow. It was and it had a super high ceiling. And they never finished it really. I mean, they have now, or I think it's all gone now. But um, so Todd took over that space and he made a video, a feature-length video called The Planets, and it was based all around uh, the soundtrack or the, the composition by the classical composition by Holst which is called The Planets. Mm-hmm. And it was this fantasy thing about, I mean, I don't know exactly what the plot was, but it was, there was this little kid, and he flew around, and he visited different things. And they spent lots and lots and lots of money making this thing. And um, and Albert was impressed by this Todd's initiative in this, and, I, and Albert built a building called um, Utopia, and he named it Utopia Video, and basically... Uh, built the building and then rented it to Todd, I believe, and they had Utopia Video, and they made music videos there and um, basically tried to run a commercial video studio. And what uh, was it that RCA had commissioned them to do or whatever? That I don't remember. I'm okay. sorry. 
the the planets thing ended up being a, a huge disaster for not because of a technical or even creative reason, but because no one had the uh, foresight to secure the rights to this music. Mm. And they shot the whole thing. And then, um, and as I've recently discovered with, you know, the, the movie that I mentioned at the top of the show, the getting, you know, securing of the rights, especially, in, you know, for the jug band stuff, where you have hundreds of artists involved and, and recordings from, you know, over a hundred-year period, mm-hmm. um, it's very, very important to have that end of it as together as any other end of it. And they didn't think about that, and they tried to secure the rights and failed. And the and the uh, whoever was had control of the the rights for that wouldn't let them do it. And so I think Todd was very discouraged um, as a result of that. And uh, but and, and Todd became discouraged at the uh, the general. MTV mentality, and and felt that um, there could be a lot more creativity possible in what was going on instead of just you know lip syncing the lyrics on mm-hmm. on camera, mm-hmm. basically, which is what m- music videos turned out to be. I mean, they use a lot of special effects and stuff like that. But I don't believe MTV has music videos anymore. Well, I mean, all right. <laughs> yeah, back then, I mean, back it started then. that way. Right. Yeah, it's different. But that's what it was. That was what it was like then. I mean, yeah. it was just and. So he became kind of discouraged about that, and it was difficult to run a commercial video studio that far and do shoots that far from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that building is now WDST. It, it had gone through a couple of things. It used to be uh, RadioWoodstock.com, and um, and is now just WDST, which is our local radio station. Hmm. What and about music from Free Creek? Was you were you involved in that at all? I don't know what that is. Sorry. Okay, all right. Well, never mind. <laughs> I remember okay. when he was doing the ever ever uh, popular tortured artist effect. Have you seen that video? That's, oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, that's like a feature length video. Wow. Was, was tell me about that video. Were you involved in that video? Not really. I mean, I I I, I did a couple of things with it and was around it, but uh, well, the, the interview part of it was that a, an act or was that really him? You think? Just the whole. Well, the thing with the interview was that it was recorded by a guy who totally screwed up. <laughs> Oops. And um, he recorded the the interview, and and I know the guy, and I won't say his name, but um, he there was a, a horrendous buzz that was that was recorded through the entire interview, and the guy never said stop to say I got to get this right, or you know let's you know there's a problem here. He recorded this whole this whole all the Todd stuff, and there was this really bad buzz hmm. and a technical problem, and I guess. What they did to try to correct it was to, a lot of noise gating and stuff like that. And you know, today we have we have software tools that could extract that, you know, 99% of that out. And you'd never hear sure. it. But that's just before they had anything like that. All we had was like uh, gates and stuff like that, and EQ. And so probably what you're hearing is uh, an attempt at, uh, at fixing that. Well, it was kind of the, the interview process i mean he was just seemed kind of you know he had his hair in his face and, and i guess for lack of a better terms somewhat arrogant or annoyed by the interviewer and you never see the interviewer i mean was that an act or is that really how he was back then and what was going on with that it was just Todd's, strange Todd's, to me Todd's definitely capable of that Todd's, <laughs> Todd's not wasn't he supposed to be interviewing himself wasn't no, there, there was idea? a guy there um 
for I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah, it, it was. It's. I don't know. I find, I find that a very strange video, and I, I've always wondered if it was really. I mean, him. you know, Todd from the show is he yell at the audience. Yeah. You know, okay. if they ask him to play something that that he doesn't really want to do or right. think he should do, you know, he'll get into it with them. Yeah. You know, he's not always the nicest guy. Yeah, you won't see me yelling, hello, it's me, at a show, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little intimidating. He's a pretty tall guy. But actually, they talked him into playing Trap last night. I'll give him props for that. Some of the ladies did, so that's all good. But, um, yeah. I have one more question. Well, he was, well let me just say this. He was okay. always very very sensitive because uh, he, he, when he put Utopia together, he made a point of making sure that every one of the four members was an equal thing. Yeah. It wasn't Todd Rundgren and Utopia. After a while, it was just Utopia. And it was a very democratic thing. And he was very sensitive to um, not to have the identity of the band to be totally Todd Rundgren. He wanted the band to be a band. Mm -hmm. And that's why, in the middle of the Utopia show, when somebody yelled up, hello, it's me, it was contrary to what he was trying to establish. And that's probably why he got a little irritable about it. Sure. Well, I think he accomplished the democracy thing. I think it worked well. Well, he let he let uh, Roger and uh, I guess it was Roger and Willie talk him into getting cast. So we do see that democracy worked in the band at one point, at least. It's yeah. funny when I was when I was going uh, when I was going through my tapes. I there was a there was a, a live version of Initiation. Yeah, and wow. that was the key. I remember when Chasm was trying out for the band, mm-hmm. and. That was the key um, tryout piece. And with all these other bass players that they had that, they, that tried out for them, you had to be able to play Initiation. And Initiation, is, as you can imagine, is a very difficult song to play. And if you could do that, then you know, you're halfway you know, to, be con- to being considered for the job. So. Wow. Liz, did you have another question? Well, um, you mentioned that you hired Mary Lou, and she's—we've uh, all come to know her and love her very much as, you know, part of the Todd family, and she's an extra special person. And um, what's the story behind when you found her, or she found you, or? Um, I needed somebody to be the the uh, the, the road manager, basically, to, to to get the band from A to B. And um, and she—I can't remember. I think she had done some work at Utopia Video or something like that for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact origin of it, but I think she had done that and and I g- gave her the opportunity and she uh she did great. You know, she's very personable and um and uh got along with the band and was able to you know, I didn't have to worry about them getting there. You know, she would do all that. She does she does all the stuff that I used to do now. Yeah. yeah well, she, she still does. does. She was on the show. show. Great yeah. guest. She's really nice. And, and I mean in terms of managing the money and dealing with Eric and, and all that stuff and you know, it's it's a tough job. Dealing with Eric sounds like he gets in the way. Well Eric has his own agenda. Uh-huh. And, you know, you can't blame him. I mean he's Eric's a businessman and and um uh, you know, for reasons that may, m- many of us don't understand, he has the trust of Todd uh, from a business standpoint, apparently and, so. They've been together a long time. That's he, he absolutely has been. You know, there's many many times when we've all questioned why that relationship continues, but for some reason, you know, it's it's Todd's decision, and you know, if that's sure. if it works for him, then God bless him. You know, I'm glad. Go. I have, you know, I had a. Um, I suppose you wanted to get into this. You're, you're going. Yeah, to I was going to say your relationship was 12 years with Todd, and then it had to end. What was the well? I, that? We, um, as I said in the beginning, I, I, I was given a lot of responsibility, 
and didn't get the support I needed from um, basically the accounting system that Todd had in place, the people that Todd had in, in New York City. And between them and Eric, it was it, my job became three times more difficult because I would go to the go to the um, the studio to show it off to a potential client or something like that, and the power bill hadn't been paid, and there was no lights on, and you know it was you know I would try to order tape for a project, and they'd say, well, we still haven't gotten paid from the last one. And so it, I decided that if I was going to have to do this, that I would have to set up some other structure that would, that would. I mean, I knew Todd would eventually get money because he got huge chunks when he got a record advance or he got a tour advance or whatever. Right. Um, but it was like, it was like uh, to try to ease out the sort of diabetic shock of these kind of big pieces of cash. That so you weren't you weren't paying the bills. Somebody else paid the bills, so you had no idea you were walking into a situation. Well, I would I would submit the bills and they wouldn't get paid. Okay, but you weren't and responsible. And, and and the and the thing in my position was that I absolutely needed to be able to rely on certain things. I needed to be able to, to rely on certain suppliers, and the most important asset that I had was the goodwill of my crew. And if I, you know, the crew had to be paid, whether or not, you know, the crew isn't isn't investing in this thing. The crew's doing a job, and they're doing a difficult job, and they're doing it under very bad conditions at some point. And so, you know, they have to be paid, and they wouldn't. It was it was difficult reliably getting paychecks out to people. So what I did was I created a company that basically paid all the bills. And uh, you know, and I would rebuild that back, and I would invest some of my own money into it, and I would, and that smoothed all the vendors out. It smoothed all the crew, and for years we had absolutely dedicated, loyal crew members that you know would do anything for the band. It was, it was, and that was because they could, they could depend on being paid. Um, for some of these services, as I, as I was my own company and putting my own money on the line, I charged. Some, uh, you know, just a, a, what a normal business would charge for for doing some of that, paying all the payroll taxes and and, and right. all that stuff. And uh, Michelle came to town, and she decided that it was an inappropriate relationship, and that I was merely an employee, and that I had no right to do any of that. And that was a basic difference. And I decided that, you know, I mean, Todd uh, and the band had been. 85% of my income for years and years and years, and overnight that evaporated. Wow. And I was faced with a really, uh, you know, a, a hard personal decision. What do I do here, you know? I was in the middle of closing on a house with my young family. At the time, I had a, about a four-year-old son and a, and a wife. We were about to close on a house and, and uh, get rid of, you know, and move out of another one. And I decided that I wasn't going to net... Make let this unreasonableness get in the way of me moving ahead with my career and with what I, what my plan was. So, you know, and I had an excellent reputation for you know the work that I had done, and I've been busy ever since. Gotcha. And I'm still in the original house that I was, and it's now my recording studio. I have a 2,500 foot square foot shop, yeah. and a bus and a TV truck and and all kinds of stuff. And I still. The relationship with them was strained for years, and and it's been. Uh, I've done three videos for them since then, and um, it's uh, it's been good. I've been out, you know, out. They did the liars video. I did something at a club in New York. Um, jo, what was it called? Joe's Joe's Pub or something like that. I think the club was. Mhm. And um, 
So, you know, we get along. Yeah, so there was, I was, you know, I was kind of hoping for like a headlock story. A headlock? Cage match, you know, none of that stuff. That's all good. <laughs> That's interesting stuff. All right, so we got one minute remaining live. We'll, we'll talk just a couple more minutes into the archives. You can listen to it when the archives are up because I do still have 850. They're back. I think it may be Dave K. Liz, unless you got something else, I'm going to move on to 850. Well, I just want to say thank you, Chris. This has been great, and I hope you'll come back again. I'm an avid listener to Rungan Radio. Kudos to Doug. You do an awesome job, man. I mean, it's a great yeah, service that you're doing to the fans and to, uh, you know, everybody. Well, it's nice to be here. So. Very good. Thank you, Liz. Okay, thanks. TRCookbook.com. 850, is this Dave? Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? Dave K. was at the New Orleans show. I met him there, so he's from Mary Esther, Florida. Correct. you got 54 seconds live, and then we'll keep going to the archive, and then we'll wrap it up. How about oh, to, cool. Let me know what you got. Hey, Chris, thanks. Uh, great show. Um, great information. A um, couple of questions. Um, you've, has anyone approached you for a future tour of Arena Rock yet and, uh, from Todd's camp? And approached me to, to mix it, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't really do that much anymore. Okay, well. In terms of being a live mixer, it's just, like, like I was saying, it's, it's so much of a compromise acoustically to try to, and, uh, to, try to get things to sound De- decent and big, you know, big and not so big places. That I, I much prefer to do work in the studio. But yeah, it sounds like you have the expertise, though, that he may need. Um, uh, the, the other question is, you t- and you touched on it much earlier um, about the new uh, approach of recording, um, where you lay down all the music first and then come back later and and do vocals uh, at the end. Like well, I mean, that's, that, I mean that, that particular recording process is how everybody does it anyway. What was different about Utopia was that he wouldn't even write the melodies or any of the lyrics before the tracks were down. Right. And then Todd would listen to the tracks and he'd write melodies and lyrics around around what he, around the tracks, which yeah, I, no, thought was, it, I thought it was genius. Yeah, in in recent interviews, uh, Todd uh, even mentioned that that his that's his common approach now, and even Chasm, I think, in his interview mentioned that was an uh, approach that he uses too, which I thought I mean, was I interesting. I mean, I think it's amazing that he was able to do it. I uh, I don't know that that's necessarily in all cases the best way to do it, and I'm, I'm sure that you know there are certain songs that he writes that are they're not done without process, but I've never even seen that before, and that's that's there. How they did it. Cool. I, I just found that interesting that um, they mentioned that, and and um, you, you said that that first appear, appeared on the um, uh, swing to the right. Album. Yeah, I, I think it was around then. I'll tell you the other interesting thing about this, and that and this is you know I mean if somebody really wanted to get into the tapes, but Todd would write the melodies. Not only write them, but he would sing the lead vocals, like all the songs that Chasm would sing, or Roger would sing, or Willie would sing. Todd would sing a guide vocal on the tape, and that's how he wrote it. And he would record it on that, and then it was the job of whoever was going to. And then they would designate, all right, well, Chasm, you're going to sing this one. Roger, you're going to sing this one. Da da da. It was their job to go up and listen to Todd's track and exactly duplicate the way the melody was and the way the thing was sung, and then that, and then they would learn it. And then, um, so it would be interesting to hear some of those tapes with Todd's original vocals on them. So, how would, do you have any idea how they would say, "Okay, Roger, you're going to sing Caravan"? I mean, how do they, or Kaz, you're going to sing Trapped? How did they decide? Uh, I don't know. It was Just luck of the draw. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was a democracy in a way. You know, it was wasn't certainly wasn't Todd saying, 
you know, using this, using this. I mean, they they came to a consensus, basically. Did anyone? Todd, uh, Todd had a lot of the say, though. Yeah, I bet. Did, did anyone? Did any uh, Kaz, Roger, or Willie write something and say, "Okay, Todd, you sing this"? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it worked cool. both ways. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't. I can't cite a specific example, but I don't think that that would have been out of the question for them to bring something uh, in and and uh, and have Todd sing on it. Cool. There you go. I could be wrong, but <laughs> you never know. It's been a lot of songs ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been an interesting, uh, very interesting listen. Definitely. Dave K. Thanks for calling, in, buddy. Hey, no problem. All right, that's Talk a wrap, Chris, folks. We are you. past our time. Chris, we really appreciate you, man. It's been great. Those clips you sent were great. I'd love to have you on again. You got plenty of stories. I know we got, you know, time flies with these things. There's so much to talk about because you're talking about, you know, '75 up until 2007, basically some of the time periods we went through. And we'd love to hear some more clips and talk to you some more in the future. Well, I'd love to come back. You just let me know when. All right, man. Great. Thanks a lot. All right, take care, Doug. All right, happy New Year. Bye. All right, bye bye. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. Another edition of Rugman Radio. What a great show. Chris was a fantastic guest. You got to hear some really special tapes of stuff. You got to hear my production of the set list for the shows. And that's all we got for you. Don't forget Tony Levin, December the 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern. That is going to be another great show on Rugman Radio. Of course, I'm biased, but I think you'll enjoy it. Tony's a great bass player. If you didn't know, he has toured with Todd. And that is going to be something special. So check us out. That's all I got. Shine on.